I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 1 as we uh, continue our, our study in 1 John. Um, you know, I don't know when the last time was that you needed to use your, the flashlight on your cell phone. I find that I use mine pretty frequently. Sometimes it's because I'm in a dimly lit room and I can't see clearly the text of a, maybe the Bible or the, a book I'm trying to read, and I'll pull that flashlight out and shine that light, or I'm looking for something somewhere and I'll take that light and, and use it. Um, but if, if, you, if you do use it, if you have used it in the past, and think of a time, it's probably associated and somehow with an encounter of darkness on some level. Um, as a sinner living with other sinners in a fallen world, uh, we encounter darkness every day. Uh, we might experience some really nice moments and sometimes we'll see those on social media. Um, but overall, the reality is that life is more like a midnight walk than it is uh, seeing a bunch of, of light and uh, wonderful moments throughout the day. But on any given day, we, we probably encounter darkness more than truth. Uh, Satan is called the God of this world by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. And uh, we, we move forward in life knowing that it's a spiritual battle out there. Uh, and we need the light of God's word to, to, to light our way. Uh, David says, your word is a, a light to my feet, a lamp, to my, uh, a lamp for my way, to see my way. We need God's word. Um, no passage, I don't think it's at our need for God's word and, and his provision and our need for Jesus more than this passage that we're looking at this morning um, in 1 John chapter 1. We said last week that John is talking about not just a general belief in God, but and not just being a good moral person, but having a personal, intimate relationship with God. Uh, and this, you have this on your outline. First John is about knowing God, not just knowing about him. Satan knows a lot about God. Uh, I know a lot of people that know a lot about God who are not Christians, they're not believers. You know, when Jesus sent the 12 disciples into the world, he didn't completely abandon them. Uh, he sent them his Holy Spirit to teach them and to comfort them and to lead them into all truth. You have some references on your outline about that. Jesus sent the Spirit to teach the disciples, and he also promised in John 14, uh, 26, to bring to their remembrance all that he said to them. And that's what's happening to John. Uh, because John outlived all the other apostles, he had decades to reflect on what he'd learned from Jesus. And the Holy Spirit would not let those memories fade and on, on, on the contrary, he observed his Savior and it just all that he observed became more meaningful and more practical for him as he meditated on who Jesus was and what he had experienced with Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, starting at verse 5, John puts in simple and clear terms of light and darkness our relationship with God, who God is. So let's read our passage starting in 1 John chapter 1. 
This is the, First John chapter one, verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is God's word. So the first thing that John says, and this is number one on your outline, is that God's character is holy and pure. The message doesn't start with you or me. It's not about us. It's about God. The message is, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God. So it starts with him. And so what John is saying is stop thinking about who you are and and what you're owed in life by other people and start contemplating who God is and what he is owed, what we owe him. Stop trying to bring God a list of all the things that you've done or how much you've given him and, and just accept him as the free gift of salvation that he gives us. So verse five again, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So most of the biblical authors tell us a lot about what God does. We look at the Old Testament from, from Genesis 1 to the, to the sending of the Messiah. Through all the prophets, we, we hear all about what God does. Uh, and then in the New Testament, we hear about what Jesus does in the Gospels. And what the Holy Spirit does through, the, through God's people in the book of Acts. John also tells us what Jesus did in uh, the Gospel of John and what Jesus will do in the book of Revelation. But in 1 John, John focuses on who God is. And he keeps bringing us back to who God is in his very nature. John understands the the difficulty of conveying the nature of an eternal and infinite God to our limited understanding, which is why he uses the imagery and metaphors that he does, like light and darkness, to give us a glimpse of God's attributes. So like we said last week in in verses one and two, look at verses one and two, John tells us clearly that God is life and that that life lived out most clearly through Jesus. And then John talks about his memory of having heard Jesus and touched him and, and that's the word made flesh that he refers to back in the gospel of John, chapter one, verse 14. And and verse three in 1 John 1 says, we proclaim that Jesus to you. All of this encourages us to announce, encourages John to announce to his readers uh, what he does not want them to forget. And that is that God is light. So light, and this is on your outline, represents the holiness and the purity of God. 
John is saying you will not understand the love of God objectively, you will not understand the love of God subjectively unless you understand that God is utterly holy. You know, there's this old German philosopher who uh, was on his deathbed and he never lived a life with God. I mean, he was an atheist, he didn't think about God, lived a very immoral life and uh, he was a, a skeptic in every sense of the term. And somebody asked him, aren't you afraid of meeting God when you die? And he said very nonchalantly, if I meet God, God will forgive me because that's his job. Well, if you think about that, what that German philosopher said, uh, here's a man who believed in, if he believed in a God, he believed that that God would be a God of love and would forgive him. But he did not believe in a God of light. He did not believe in a holy God. So here's this philosopher who believed that God, if he existed, was absolutely loving. But if you only believe in a, a God of love, uh, you'll live your life any way you want. If you only believe in a God of love, then what happened on the cross would absolutely make no sense that Jesus would die for our sin. So this man, this philosopher's understanding of God sure didn't change his life. And, his, and it was in his death, he wasn't comforted by that at all, who God was. Uh, John doesn't say that God is a source of light, he says that God is light. And because God is light, there is no possibility of even a trace of darkness in God. Because he's a God of light. Like one commentator said, that God is light means that God is all good with nothing bad. He is all pure with nothing impure. He is all clean with nothing dirty. He is all right with nothing wrong. He is all truth with nothing false. And it is by God's light that we as believers, as Christians, should see everything around us. You know, C.S. Lewis has a lot of great quotes. I love reading C.S. Lewis for that, but I think my very favorite quote from Lewis is this one. It's, you've got it on your outline. When he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. That's what God does for us. Christianity is the lens through which we see and understand and interpret the world around us. It's like the morning sun that provides clarity in what we see. For a Christian, the Bible gives us a filter through which we can take everything in that we take through the word. We take it through the filter of God's word and it shows us what the world around us is really about, what God is really about, what life is about. We see that through the filter of God's word. Um, <clears throat> when John writes here that this, this, we need to understand the context of this letter. Uh, there were all these gods with a small g uh, who were Roman gods, Greek gods, who were all around and who were spiteful and cruel like supermen, but, but uh, only bigger and stronger. That's the way they conceived them. 
You know, when we traveled uh, last year to in the steps of the Apostle Paul with some of you, uh, and we, we saw statues of gods everywhere. We walked down the streets of Ephesus, and you see it's just lined with all these gods. And these gods don't, they pale in comparison to the true God. They, they don't bring light. You know, as much as I'm familiar with my own home, I've learned that I need to keep my phone by me with that flashlight so that I can shine my way to wherever I'm going in the house. Otherwise, I'll stub my toe or run into a wall or run into a piece of furniture. That's not very fun. Without God's purity and holiness in our lives, we will continue to dwell in spiritual darkness. We'll continue to run into way more than walls uh, if we don't dwell in the light. The next principle is in verse six, and it's him contrasting God's nature as light with, this is number two, with our human nature, which is in a fallen condition and is dark and depraved. That's our human condition, our human nature. The problem in these verses uh, <clears throat> is a contradiction between what a believer says they believe and their lifestyle. So in verse six, John begins with a claim. Here's the claim. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and then John describes the contradiction uh, in the middle part, the last part of verse six, and yet walk in the darkness, and then he draws a reasonable conclusion at the very end of that verse. We lie and do not live out the truth. So John says, we lie. What do we lie about? about being in fellowship with God while we're walking in the darkness. And in addition to that, not practicing the truth. He does not say that we, that we do not know the truth. He says that we don't practice it. You know, in a sense, we're all hypocrites. A hypocrite, think of what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is someone who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it. There are times when I know the right thing to do and I don't do it all the time. So in that sense, we're all hypocrites. And that's my response to someone who says, uh, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. I'm like, come and join us. We're all hypocrites. But there's another sense in which we want to, we desire to live according to the truth. I, I talked to a guy one time who owned a snake. I don't know why people buy snakes as pets. Anyway, this guy had a snake. And uh, <clears throat> he would go to the pet store to buy mice to feed to the snake. I don't know why people have mice as pets, but I know some people do. Forgive me if you're one of them, but I don't get it. Um, anyway, he would go and buy mice to feed to the snake. And the, the owner of the pet store kept thinking he was buying mice as pets because he, he would say to him, you know, you keep coming back for these mice and, you know, I've got some medicine you can give him that only costs like $100 and, you can, and the mice will last longer. You can give it to the mice. And the guy was like, no, nah, it's okay. Um, knowing that he was going to be feeding the mice to the snakes anyway. So, and he said he felt like a hypocrite doing that, but he said he really felt like a hypocrite because the, the, the box, this nice ornate box that he would take home with the mice inside said, thank you for giving me a home. He was like, oh. I guess in a sense he was giving him a home, but maybe not what, um, not what they were thinking of. It was Mark Twain who said that, you know, everyone is, he compared everyone to the moon. Uh, because we all have a dark side to us. Uh, we're all hypocrites. 
It's almost like John is leading his readers here through a self-evaluation of sin in their life as believers. So on your outline, we have this. If we say we have an intimate relationship with God, we can't ignore our sin. People often ask, are some sins worse than others? Uh, The short answer is yes, and I'll give you an example of that. Um, one uh, One of the best responses before the example comes from Alvin Plantinga, who writes this, it's on your outline, all sin is equally wrong, but not all sin is equally bad. Acts are either right or wrong, either consonant with God's will or not. But among good acts, some are better than others. And among wrong acts, some are worse than others. So here's the example. I would much prefer that someone hate me than that someone act out their hate toward me and murder me. Uh, it's, it's, in God's eyes, it's all sin. Uh, so even though hate is murder in the heart, the consequences of just hating in your heart are far less drastic for me personally than you taking it out and murdering me. So when there's such a huge contrast between our words and our lifestyle, what John says is the only conclusion is that we're lying. And so if we say we have fellowship with God and look at pornography, we're lying. If we say that we enjoy intimacy with God, but verbally abuse or emotionally abuse or physically abuse our spouse or our children, John says we're lying. If we say that we know all about God's forgiveness and yet we refuse to forgive someone, John says we lie. And if we claim to be close with God but we stir up trouble at home or at church or at school or work by gossiping, we're lying. That's what John's saying. So, what's the solution? Well, John gives us another contrast in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, two things happen. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. So when we live out what it means to be spiritually cleansed, which should happen on a regular basis, through our intimate fellowship with God, that leads to a pattern of living that is godly. And what does that look like? Well, we invite Jesus to control our urges. We stay as close to him as we can by being in the word. We talked about that last week. Uh, Men, if you were at the men's breakfast, we heard Bart talk about that uh, yesterday morning. We've got to, we, we get this meal together spiritually, corporately on Sunday mornings, but we can't live on one meal a week. We need to eat spiritually on our own in between Sundays. Uh, And we've got to pray. We've got to communicate with God, not just when we're praying corporately, but, but praying personally, spending personal time in prayer with God. And we need a deep dive into genuine fellowship. We have fellowship here on Sunday mornings. But a deep dive into fellowship means that you're a part of a small group on some level that people know what 
what is going on in your life and how to pray for you, and you know what's going on in their lives and how to pray for them. That's the kind of community that, we are, that, that John's talking about. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And the only way we can do that is by being, the only way we can follow the Lord, and this is a great question to ask, is am I up to date? Are you up to date on your obedience? There were two men, godly men, who were meeting and at a retreat together, rooming together. C.T. Studd, a missionary statesman, and a man named F.B. Meyer, a a theologian uh, from Britain. All these guys who use these initials, C.S. Lewis, I think I'm going to start going by K.B. Dodd. Um, <clears throat> but C.T. Studd woke up early, and F.B. Meyer was, was reading the word, and he said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm, I'm reading through the New Testament. I've been up all night. Uh, I, I read where Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me, and I'm trying to see, read through the New Testament to see if I'm up to date on my obedience. So are you up to date on your obedience? If you read a verse in there and that you're not obeying, put a cross next to it in the margin because the only way that you can obey that is by the grace of God. And what Jesus did for us on the cross to forgive us our sins so that we can live in that victory and that forgiveness. And then third on the outline, our hope is in confessing and cleansing in verses eight to 10. In verses eight and 10, we see the second and third contradictions. And these are a little bit different, but they're again, against what the Gnostics were saying. That's the context. John is writing to the church, but he's writing against the Gnostics. And this is exactly what the Gnostics were claiming. So the second claim that the Gnostics had was, if we say that we have no sin, And his conclusion in verse 8 is we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So again, the Gnostics were saying we do not have a tendency towards sin. We have no sin. Uh, And they they said they were incapable of sinning. And John was like, that is not the truth. So the false teachers were claiming that. And then look down at verse 10. In verse 10, we have the third claim. If we say that we have not sinned, And then the third conclusion, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, we do have a sin nature. Because of this sin nature, we commit sins, even as believers. No believer has to sin, but God lovingly has provided for such an emergency through the death of Christ, through his blood shed for us. And so... Even as believers, the the root of this abiding sin in our lives is called total depravity. What is total depravity? You've got it on your outline. Total depravity means that because of the fall, we are spiritually dead and we will stay that way apart from divine grace. We are not as bad as we could be. And our only way out of it is by the grace of God, by understanding the gospel and by choosing to accept it. And this comes by the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And this is clearly and repeatedly taught in scripture. So in addition to 1 John 1.10, uh, look at the first verse, Ecclesiastes 7.20, it's on your outline. Let's read it out loud together. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. And then two other 
passages. No one seeks God. No one does good, not even one in Romans 3. And in Ephesians 2, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. So apart from God's grace, there's no light of holiness, no genuine righteousness in us that we would make ourselves pleasing to God. Nothing in us that would move us even an inch closer to God on our own. And so as John talks about light and darkness, there's nothing brighter than God's light, than his holiness. And in contrast with that, uh, we live in spiritual darkness. And this world is a dark world. But as God's children, we walk in the light. That's why we need fellowship with one another. That's why we need time in the word and time in prayer. We can't overemphasize the holiness of God. And we should never forget our own sinfulness. And so what's the antidote to our sinfulness? The antidote is in verse nine. And if you don't have verse nine underlined in your Bible or highlighted in your Bible, you should. Uh, it, it is such a great promise. We have the assurance from our loving God that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess our sins, God is faithful to his promise of mercy and grace through the blood of Christ. To confess, and this is on your outline, literally means to say the same thing. So we have to be honest with ourselves. It's like uh, <clears throat> claiming ignorance about bills that we owe and then we go home and we find all these envelopes with the bills inside of them that have never been opened. We have to be honest with ourselves. We confess our sins, we say the same thing to God that he already knows about our sinfulness and our need for forgiveness. You know, a well-known uh, <clears throat> but uh, very messed up uh, film director, Woody Allen, claimed to be an atheist. And on one occasion, he was asked the question, if there is a God and if that God should speak to you, what would you most want to hear him say? And Woody Allen answered, I think, for all people, really. He said, if there is a God who should speak to me, I would most want to hear him say three words. You are forgiven. Because we all need forgiveness, and we know we need forgiveness. And so we have to agree with God that we're sinners, and when we sin, we take responsibility for it. We don't blame others. We don't blame our family. We don't blame our environment. We don't blame our circumstances. We don't blame Satan. We don't blame God. We admit that we're sinners in need of God's forgiveness and restoration. And there are a couple of warnings here, though, in verse 9. This is not an invitation, verse 9, to an all-you-can-sin smorgasbord which Jesus has paid for. In other words, if we're insincere in our confession and, and we just turn right around and sin in the same way again, uh, <clears throat> that's not what God wants. That doesn't please the Lord. And the second warning is this is, this is not either a, a, a time for God to forgive us only if we confess. It's not like, our like God's forgiveness depends on our confession. That's not true. 
our forgiveness does not depend on our confession. God's forgiveness is given as soon as we admit our need of Christ, as soon as we receive him, not on the basis of our acts or our works. So confession is not a work that gains us God's forgiveness. Forgiveness only happens by God's grace, period. And the context here again is important. God, we're talking about who God is. And God is a light, he is holy. Uh, So we've called this series that you may know. So what is it that we can know from these verses here? We can know that God wants us to be aware of our sinfulness. We can know that God wants us to be aware of his holiness. God wants us to also speak the truth to him about our condition. He wants us to walk in the light of of who he is. And we see that most clearly revealed in his word. He wants us to strive to be holy by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we inevitably sin, he wants us to go to him for cleansing, to thank him for his forgiveness, to agree with him on, on who we are, that we're sinners. And there are lots of verses about confession, not just 1 John 1, 9. Uh, there, uh, look at Proverbs 28, 13, the first one there. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. You know, maybe one of the greatest lessons we can learn, if I could summarize what we've talked about this morning in just uh, a few words, it, you've got it on your outline. It would be this, intimacy is rooted in honesty. Intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. It's never too late to do what's right. Acknowledging our wrong is the first step toward recovering intimacy with God as well as intimacy with each other. Look at the next verse on the outline, James 5. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So if we don't have an attitude of confession and keeping short accounts, we begin to store up sin and guilt and that turns to anxiety, it turns to shame. And that's not why Jesus died, for us to live with anxiety and in shame. So practically, how do you have victory over darkness? Well, here's a plan. Uh, You've got it on your ally. Number one, pray to walk in the light of Christ all day. Maybe you can pray something like this. Lord, I don't know what today holds. I don't know the people I'm going to encounter. I don't know the trials I'm going to face. I don't know the temptations I'm going to need to overcome. But you know. And so today, with your help, I commit myself to walking in your light with your divine strength. So Lord, I, I come, as I come to forks in the road today, choices between darkness and light, guide me to the light. I know I can't do this in my own strength, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I ask for your power to live my life in the light today. And then the second thing is to remember our own potential to take a step into darkness. One of the godliest men I know said this. He said, there's never a day that goes by in which I haven't entertained a stray thought 
a bad attitude, a careless glance, a foolish word, or an offensive remark. But when I do, I confess it. That's our invitation. We need to speak the truth about us to God. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I sin. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. And then thirdly, thank him for seeing you through another day. Thank him for who you are in Christ. Rejoice in that. Never forget to do that. You know, it's only through the power of God's transforming grace that his light guides me into deeper light. Andrew Jackson was our seventh president. And during his presidency, a postal clerk named George Wilson uh, robbed a train and killed someone. And he was arrested and tried and convicted of murder and sentenced to death by hanging. And there were some questions about the trial and, and, and somehow President Jackson got involved and decided to issue George Wilson a pardon. But Wilson hated the President Jackson and he refused the pardon. And people were shocked because that had never happened before that someone would refuse a pardon. And it ended up going to the Supreme Court. Can a person refuse a pardon? And Supreme Court Justice John Marshall handed down the decision and he wrote this, a pardon is just a piece of paper whose only value must be determined by the receiver of the pardon. It has no value from that which the receiver gives to it. And so because George Wilson refused the pardon, he was hung. I don't know if I could think of anything so sad. One thing does come to mind that would be sadder than that. And that is to know the grace of God and refuse it. To know that God loves you and he's forgiven you and wants to forgive you. And someone turns their back on that. I know that most of you have received the Lord. And if, if you have, praise God for the grace of Christ he's given you. But if you have not, if you're here this morning, perchance, and you've never received that, you don't know the love and, and, and mercy of God, receive Jesus into your life this morning. Do not be like this George Wilson who refused the pardon. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God of truth because your truth is our food. And we've just been given something to eat and it's very sweet and it makes us strong. And so help us, Lord, to digest it now. If there's someone here who doesn't know you for sure, I pray that right now they would open their hearts to you. Father, we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to stand with me for the benediction. If God has spoken to you, uh, we're gonna have some people up front who would uh, love to listen and pray with you.
and uh, they're available, and please take advantage of that. And as we always say, please greet the people around you before you leave. And if you've never been to pizza with the pastors, uh, you can just stick around right now for lunch and join us right upstairs for some good Mountain Mike's pizza and hear from the pastors and, and get to know, we'd love to get to know you as a little bit as well. So this is from... John, the author of 1 John, he writes this in Revelation 5, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb who was slain, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.